If you've got your Bibles, if you would turn to Matthew chapter 6, we're going to read verses 9 through 13. This is a pretty familiar section of Scripture. Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 through 13. Some of you may be able to quote this and know it as the Lord's Prayer. And when you got it, if you're able to, if you don't mind standing, just so I know everybody's ready. It will also be up on the screen. It's not showing up on the screen. Well, that's, that's not good. That's all right. I'm just going to read it for you anyway, so just listen. And most of you probably already know this scripture. Technical difficulties. Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 through 13, and this is what it says. In this manner, therefore, pray, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would just add your blessing to this word today, that you would speak to our hearts and our minds, grow us in our faith, and let us leave here different than what we came in. In your name we pray. Amen and amen. You may be seated this morning. If you, uh, I'm going to take just a moment here before we get into the, the, the actual message here. If you have a more modern translation Bible like an NIV or an ESV or a CSB or an MEV, well, MEV has it. Um, some of these modern Bible translations are missing the, if you look at it, are missing that last line of the prayer um, in, in the main text that says, For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. There are some translations that stop right at, but deliver us from the evil one. And I'm just going to take a moment here and, and just have a little bit of a, a Bible usage and Bible history uh, lesson here because that could be very confusing for somebody who may have a more modern translation that you're using. Uh, they're, they're, since the writing of the King James and New King James and some of the more traditional translations, there have been uh, other findings of manuscripts and uh, things like the Dead Sea Scrolls and all those things have been found since uh, the publishing of that. And they have come to find that there are earlier manuscripts, manuscripts that um, are closer to the original writing date that uh, don't have the some of the verses that the King James manuscripts and what the King James uh, Bible is based on. And, and so there is some controversy out there about, well, King James is the one true translation or the new King James. And, and, uh, and I, I personally believe that, you know, use what you can read and understand. But I think it's important to note that if you have a hard copy Bible, and even on some of the digital Bibles on your phone, you have the ability to do this, uh, in your footnotes, that line is still there. Um, they moved it from the main text down to the footnotes, and they have a notation in most of them that say uh, some earlier manuscripts do not have for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. And so I don't condemn any, any well, I shouldn't say any. I, there are plenty of modern translations that are still good translations. You just have to know how to read and study a little bit more um, using them to get some of those old verses. And if that, uh, hopefully that clears it up for anybody who may use a, like an NIV or something of that nature. 
Um, and some of that is based on publishing date. So if you have any more question or, or, or issue with that, just we'll talk later. But I just wanted to put that out there for somebody who may have been looking at their Bible and said, wait a minute, that last part isn't in mine. And so uh, with that being said, uh, when we come to this scripture, this is a pretty uh, familiar set of scripture here. Jesus is teaching people how to pray. Uh, he starts out in, in, this, uh, in this section of scripture earlier on, part that I didn't read, where he's telling people, when you pray, do not be like the Pharisees and, and those who stand in the street corners and, and pray loudly and for all to see and for all to hear. He says, but go away, shut yourself in a room, and do and pray in secretly, and your father who sees in secret will reward you for it. He says, don't be like the Pharisees and the Sadducees and all these other religious elites that they have all these many empty, vain, meaningless words that they just like to ramble on in their prayer for no reason and just, just to look more spiritual. Has anybody ever been in a, uh, like a prayer circle before where you're holding hands and it almost feels like it's a competition to see who can pray the best? Has anybody ever felt that way? Maybe that wasn't like an intentional thing, but within yourself, you know, you have somebody next to you and, and you're praying and you, you pray a very simple prayer, and, but then the, next per, the person next to you, they break out that 1611 King James Bible English and they're the these and the thous and, the, and, and, and all of those things and they're thus saith the Lord unto thee and thine and thus and and they get into all that fancy stuff, and then they start singing the hymns, and they break out the Red Book hymnal, and it's like, what in the world is going on? Has anybody ever felt that way before? Like you're in this prayer circle, and there's some... And now, if that's really, truly, genuinely how you pray, and you pray in the King James, that, that's wonderful, and that's great, and as long as it's sincere, it's okay. But I, I've learned that there, are, that there are people out there who pray that way as a way to be impressive in their prayer. See, our prayer is not to impress people. Our prayer is to have communication and relationship with God. And that's what Jesus is trying to teach them. He's teaching, you don't, you don't need to be all crazy with your prayer. You don't need to have all these empty words and meaningless, vain words just to draw attention to yourself. If you pray hard and you pray loud, that's wonderful and that's great, as long as it's sincere. But what he's telling them is, is this outline for how to pray. He's giving them this, 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 this code or this guideline to follow to guide their prayer so that it's something meaningful, not just something empty and vain and just crazy and out of control. And so he comes to this and he begins to work his way through this prayer. And he says, in this manner, pray like this. Pray like this. And he starts this prayer out with, our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. This, this is such a powerful line. And you know, I think sometimes our familiarity with Scripture uh, robs us of the power of it sometimes. We get so used to reading it that when we read it again or we try to apply it to our life, all of a sudden we're kind of like, we, we just kind of read it and we're going through the motion and we, we kind of lose its significance and its power. And we're just, we read it because it's there and we're like, oh yeah, I already know this. But when you begin to dig beyond the surface of this prayer, we find a lot of depth to it. A lot of heartfelt meaning to this prayer. 
You see, when he starts out saying, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, there is a relational statement, a relational setup that's happening. It's essentially when you pray like this and you follow this guideline, what, what, is, what Jesus is conveying to them is that understand when you pray, you're praying from this perspective in this position. We're not just praying to pray. He says you need to understand that when you come to God in prayer, you're saying, our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And in, in the BSV, the Brandon Scott version, I want us to understand today that what, when we come to God and pray like this, we are praying as his children, first and foremost. You see, coming to God and saying a statement like, our Father, was really unheard of throughout the whole Old Testament. He was described as, the, as a father throughout scriptures in the Old Testament and father-like characteristics, but nobody really ever came before God and said, you are my father in heaven. This was kind of groundbreaking information for these people. But you see, what happened is, is in the Old Testament, it was the priests and those who ministered in the temple uh, who had to go before God into the holies of holies and make the sacrifices and, and make the pleas before God on behalf of the people. But you see, when Jesus died on the cross and fulfilled the ultimate sacrifice, the veil of that temple was torn. In other words, we all were granted access to God's presence and his glory. And we now, as Hebrews says, can come boldly to the throne of grace. You see, we don't need somebody else to pray for us, but we approach God ourselves as his children. That, that's, that's powerful to think about. Like, and I know for some people that, that may be hard to really understand. I don't know what everybody's relationship with their father was like in your life, but I, I understand that sometimes to look at God as a father, but then to look at our earthly father and see their flaws and their, their mishaps, their mistakes. And some of you may not even know your earthly father, but where your earthly father fails, your heavenly father succeeds. He is perfect in every way. And I don't have time to get into all the details of what it means for him to be our heavenly father. But understand this. Imagine a perfect father who loves you with his entire heart and you can come to him about anything and for anything. And it, you don't have to set up a meeting. You don't have to get marked on the schedule. You don't have to have an appointment with the secretary. You can come before him and say, Father God, you can approach him like a child approaches their father. I, I never had to make an appointment to have a conversation with my dad. I never had to have a special permission to go speak to my dad. If I needed to talk to him, all I had to do was go talk to him. I, I think sometimes we miss out on how special this relationship is that we have with God. Because you see, Jesus goes on to say, Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be thy name. What he is now saying is, is we pray as children, as his children, to a holy, powerful God. Like, do we understand the weight of that? We are praying to him as his children, but when he answers our prayers, he answers them as the almighty, all-wise, all-powerful, all strong, all, all knowing God in heaven. So when, when we, he answers our prayers, 
He's not just answering as an earthly man. He's not just answering our questions with earthly wisdom, but he is the creator of wisdom. He is the creator of all knowledge and all that we see around here, and he answers accordingly. I think some of us are still struggling to get that this morning, or we didn't have our coffee this morning. But when we pray, when we go to God, we, we have access to him as children of God, but he answers in all power and authority that he has. See, see, I, I think sometimes when we go to God in prayer, we, we have this idea or concept in our heads. I don't know where it came there, where it came from. It may come from a religious background, and I don't mean a good type of religion. I mean the, the, the religion that is very legalistic and where we approach God with our prayers, and we're like, well, you know, Lord, if you can... If, you, if you're able to, if you can find the time for it, I'd really appreciate it if you could do this little thing over here. But, you know, we have, we have this lacking of confidence in prayer. We, we lack so much confidence in prayer. One, because we don't understand our own relationship with God and the access that we have. But it's also we, we rob him of the recognition of his power and wisdom and authority when we approach him like that. Jesus is saying, you are approaching the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the almighty God, as his children. And the Bible says in Matthew 7, uh, verses 7 through 11, it says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks and he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks it will be opened. For Or what man is there among you who, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? In other words, when we go to God in prayer as his children as he is our perfect father in heaven, should expect good things as a result of our prayer. Like we, we have this mentality where we're like, you know, I, I, I better ask the pastor to pray for me and, and all that. And, you know, I'm happy to pray with you, but I cannot do your praying for you. I'm happy to agree with you in prayer. I'm happy to take you by the hands and we'll go to God together. But at the end of the day, the prayer that you pray has to be your prayer. God, Jesus did not die on that cross to keep the, old, the ways of old where the priest and the minister had to go and pray for us on our behalf. He did that to create a way so that we can have our own personal relationship with him. And sometimes I wonder if we uh, are missing out on the answers that we've been seeking in our prayers because we're trying to get everybody else to pray for us and we don't even pray for ourselves. And God's just waiting on us to get on our knees before him and approach him. But we should expect good things because we are approaching the King of kings and the Lord of lords as his children. And if our earthly fathers who are corrupt and evil and make mistakes and are flawed seek to give us good gifts, or at least I hope that was your experience in your life, how much more will the perfect God who is in heaven give us good things to those who ask? That is a beautiful, beautiful sentiment and statement. 
Because I don't know about you, but there are plenty of times in my life where I need good things from God. And, and I, I need us to be careful when we approach this topic because how we define something as good is not how God defines something as good. This, this may be too much for me to get into all the way today, but you need to understand that when you ask for something, he's going to give you an answer. Sometimes that answer is no, but you need to understand that when he gives you the no, it is still just as good as the yes. Because we get so frustrated and we say, well, I'm just waiting on God to answer my prayer. Um, and you've been waiting for 37 years for God to answer your prayer. He, did, he answered it. He probably said no. But we don't want to accept that. We're not saying I'm waiting on God to answer my prayer. What we're really saying is I'm waiting on God to give me what I want. And God's saying, hold on a second. You don't, you don't want me to give you what you want because you don't know what's really truly attached to what you want. God's saying, I got the wisdom and the ability to see the, the end from the beginning, and I know where that thing will lead in your life, and so I'm not going to give it to you. And so we need to have this in mind when we go to God in prayer, that sometimes he's going to tell us no. And we have to trust that he knows better than us, which is a very hard thing for us to do. And we go to God in prayer and we, and we make statements sometimes like, well, I guess all I can do is pray about it. Like, that's a problem. Well, I guess that's all that's left for me to do is pray. And we have this lacking of confidence. Like, I don't think we understand what we're saying when we make those statements. God convicted, this, convicted me of this a long time ago. Like, we should be in prayer first, but when we make that statement of all, all that's left for me to do is pray, what we're essentially saying is, is, I've done everything I can do and know how to do in my strength and my wisdom, and the only thing left is God, and so I hope he's good enough. I couldn't do it. We're, we're making the statement that, well, I thought my way was best and I can do it in my own strength and I had it under control. But since I couldn't do it, I guess I better leave it up to God and hopefully he's strong enough because I wasn't. Yikes. I feel like the steel toe boots I put on this morning are being crushed and my toes are still being stepped on. You see, we should go to God first in prayer and walk away with all confidence that it is in his hands and we don't have to do and we don't have to figure it out in our own strength and our own wisdom. And all we got to do is wait for his answer and then obey accordingly. You see, your prayer, sometimes we pray and God gives us direction. He doesn't just do it for us and we got to walk in obedience Do you hear that? Like sometimes you have to walk in obedience with what God gives you as the answer. You, he doesn't just do everything for you all the time. Sometimes he does. But sometimes he says, hold on a second. Your answer is that I'm going to give you the strength you need to do it yourself. I'm going to give you the directions. You just got to follow the blueprint. But it means we still have to do something. 
Jesus goes on in his prayer to say, your kingdom come. You know, we spend a lot of time in prayer trying to build our own kingdom and our own empire in our life. We spend a lot of time, Lord, help me to do this and that and this and that. Build this, do that, make this money, spend that money, do this incredible thing over here. And at the heart of it all, it's really to build our own kingdom and our own glory. That's, that's reality of it. As we go to God in prayer asking for things that build our own kingdom. We want to build our wealth. We want to build our kingdom. And listen, there's nothing wrong with asking God for some of those provisions and things that we need. And we'll get to that here in just a minute. But the Bible says in Matthew 6, 33, a little bit later on, Jesus tells them, seek first the kingdom of heaven and God's righteousness. And everything that you need will be added to you. When our mentality is not to build our own kingdom, when our life is centered around building God's kingdom and living for his glory, it's amazing of how many things will just be taken care of for us. I learned a long time ago that if you will be about God's business, he will take care of your business. If your heart is centered around him and obedience to him and what he is directing you to do, he will take care of everything else in your life. He goes on to say from your kingdom come he says your will be done. Your will be done. You know like I just mentioned we spend a lot of time trying to build our own kingdom in prayer. We make a lot of requests and demands of God, but when's the last time we've really stopped and just spent time seeking his will? We give God our requests. We say, Lord, I want this, I need that, and, and some of those things are true, genuine prayers. But when's the last time you took time in prayer to just seek God's will for your life? You might find that you don't have to make as many requests if you knew what his will was. You wouldn't be so confused. You wouldn't be in so much hurt. I, the most miserable times in my life were times where I was wandering around trying to figure out what I was supposed to do with myself. The most joyous times are where I have spent my time in the will of God doing what he's asked me to do. I made many, many plans for my life at a young age. None of them have really happened, to be honest with you. My plans involved building my own kingdom, to be quite honest. And then a day finally came where I started saying, Lord, what is your will for my life? And I may not have the material things that I wanted, but I have the joy and peace and hope that I always needed. When was the last time that we went to God in prayer seeking his will? James 4.3 tells us, you ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. Even Jesus, when he was going to the, going to the cross in the garden praying before, he said, Lord, if there, he said, Father, if there's any way for this cup to be taken from me, please do so, but not my will be done, your will be done. Even in the midst of facing crucifixion on a cross, Jesus declared, not my will, but your will. 
This is, this is heavy here because James tells us that we don't get what we're asking for because we're asking wrongly for the wrong reasons. We're asking so that we can satisfy our flesh. We're asking so that way we can build our kingdom. We're asking so that way we can have all the glory and honor that we want in our life and all the great things we want in our life. And this is an Americanized gospel that has crept into churches all over the country that it's all about building your wealth and building your own kingdom and, and, and living in prosperity and blessings. Yes, God blesses and gives prosperity to his children, but that may not be the plan for every one of his children. And we got to stop acting like it is all the time and say, Lord, what is your will for my life? It's interesting that when you begin to seek God's will for your life, that all of a sudden your heart changes and the things you used to desire you no longer desire. And now all of a sudden your heart shifts to where it is in alignment with what God wants. And now all of a sudden you are walking in obedience with joy and you don't even think about those old things you used to pray for. We got to learn how to seek God's will for our life. We have to learn how to seek his will. He says, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. There, I, I want to see heaven on earth. I know it'll never be a perfect place. But I believe that until Jesus comes, we as a church, I'm going to shift from our personal life to our church life here for just a moment, that we have an obligation to our community and to God to represent the kingdom of heaven here on this earth. But we only represent it when we are in the will of God as the body of Christ. We will never represent heaven on earth. We will never see the glory that is in heaven here on earth. And, it, it, and the, the greatest glory that we'll see on this earth, it will still be nothing compared to what we'll see in heaven. But in the meantime, God has given us a responsibility to have dominion on this earth as believers, to be the ecclesia, which is essentially an ambassador for God on this earth to represent his kingdom. And we cannot look like his kingdom, act like his kingdom, unless we are in his will. We have to be in his will. He goes on to say, give us today our daily bread. This is what I find us to pray most out of this guideline. We're saying, Lord, make provision for today. Make a way here. Make a way there. The psalmist said, I have never seen the righteous forsaken or his children begging for bread. God is faithful to supply every one of our needs. Going back, like I said earlier in Matthew 6.33, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. If you read the preceding verses, starting in verse 25, I'm not going to read all of it, but essentially what he's saying, if God clothes the flowers of the field, feeds the birds of the air, and they don't plow and, and, and plant, and they don't sow their own clothing together, won't God meet all of your needs? We get so worried about all of these things, and I'm guilty of this myself. Worrying about where our next meal's going to come from. It's a legitimate concern. There's, there's plenty of good reason to be worried about some of those things. But there's also plenty of good reason to have peace knowing that God will take care of every one of those needs. 
for those who walk in righteousness and pursue his kingdom and him above all else. I have found so many times that just in the nick of time, God has come through. And I'm starting to get to a point where I just, I don't even think about stuff anymore. I just know that somehow, some way, as long as I walk in obedience with God, that there'll be food on the table and gas in the car and clothes on my back. The Lord blesses and takes care of us very much. And I think sometimes we worry about those things too much. Sometimes we're worrying because we don't have the latest and greatest whatever. And you know, God will bless you and give you the latest and greatest. But it's usually people who have learned how to walk in obedience with him and he's learned that he can trust them with those things. And they aren't going to make those things idols in their life. Because when you start seeking those things first, well then you got to start looking for those things to provide for you. If you're starting to put your job over his kingdom and him, well, then God will turn you over and that will be your God. And it will be your provision. And you will not have the joy and peace and comfort of knowing the God who owns the cattle on a thousand hills and rests his feet on the earth. The one who molded and shaped every, every grain of the field, every fruit, every vegetable, everything that we eat and worry about. You won't have the peace if you start worrying about those other things that the God who made all of it can give it to you. We got to understand, we ask for God's provision because we do need his provision, but we need to understand that he already knows our needs and he will take care of them. I want us, though, to also look at this section of the prayer a little differently as well, that it's not just about eating physical bread and physical needs, but there is a spiritual feeding that we need as well. Jesus said, man cannot live on bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. Having bread, having food, having clothes is all great and wonderful, but it means nothing if our spirit and soul are starving. It means nothing. You can have all the greatest things, all the most wonderful cars and clothes and the biggest house, and it means nothing if your soul and spirit have been starved to death. See, this, this line of this prayer, of this guiding that Jesus gives is not just about physical feeding. We need a daily spiritual feeding. We've, we've got to chew on the bread of life, not just the bread of this earth. Jesus then goes on to say, when you pray, ask for forgiveness Say, Lord, forgive me as I forgive others. This is a hard one because a little bit later on, a few verses down, Jesus also says, if you can't forgive others, God in heaven will not forgive you. No wonder we need to take this one to prayer because it is by the grace of God that we can forgive others. There are people that have done horrible, terrible things that you will not be able to forgive unless God helps you to forgive them. In your flesh, you are too weak to do it, but in God's spirit, you have more than enough strength to do it. There are people who have wronged me and have hurt me in my life, and by the grace of God, he's helped me in my heart to move on and forgive people. 
and forgiveness gets easier. It's just like anything else. The more you practice it and do it, the easier it gets. We talked about this a couple weeks ago, so I don't need to dive into it too much, but you've got to learn to get over offenses and hurts and move on and walk in forgiveness. Or it will be a trap and a snare for your life that worst of all, God won't forgive you, but you'll also be eaten alive by bitterness and anger and hatred and all of those things as well. This is a non-negotiable. We have to make repentance in our lives a priority. A constant going to God, asking for forgiveness. Asking him to shape and mold our hearts. See, repentance isn't just asking for forgiveness. Repentance literally means to turn and walk away from. You see, we ask God for forgiveness and then we just go back and do the same stuff over and over again. Sometimes willingly. Sometimes you battle hard to get free from things. But other times, there are people who just don't care anymore. And the Bible calls that a seared conscience. The Bible also said in Hebrews that those who willingly sin, there is no blood for, for that sin. Because you cannot trample on the sacrifice of Christ. That's harsh reality. Like, I don't think we take repentance and sanctification and walking in holiness seriously enough. We take the blood of Christ for granted. And Jesus is reminding us here to have a spirit and a life that repents. The last thing Jesus, second to last thing Jesus says to do in prayer is after you've gotten forgiveness from your sins, seek in prayer that you would not be led into temptation, but to be delivered from the evil one. Listen, if you do not set up guards and boundaries around your heart and your mind, the temptation will just come back. He's saying in your prayers, when you go to God in prayer, when you go to your father in prayer, ask him to help you be strong against these sins so that you can walk in repentance and not turn back to it. These things are so important for us to cover in prayer. Like these are the foundational basics of prayer. Jesus isn't saying you got to get your Bible out, you got to get your, all these things in order, you got to douse yourself in anointing oil and do all this crazy stuff. Anointing oil is, is of God, and that's a teaching for another time. But you don't have to like get in there and start rocking back and forth and shaking and hooting and hollering all this stuff to pray and to get God to hear you. What he's telling us today is that we are his children. He wants to give us good things when we ask him for good things and he gives us this list of things that we should be asking for and praying about on a foundational basic level. When we ask for, for provision, we're not just talking about food, we're talking about spiritual things. We're talking about healings. All of those things God wants to grant to us if it's his will for us. But we first have to start with getting ourselves to a place of prayer. The last line of this prayer is really about recognition of God and worship unto God, where it says, for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Let me put this in the BSV, Brandon Scott, unauthorized, unpublished translation for you. God, you have all the power and all the glory, and you are the King of kings and the Lord of lords. You are able to do all of these things, so let it be done. 
You see, we've got to have confidence in our prayer. Actually, let me correct myself. We got to have confidence in who God is. If we don't have, <clears throat> excuse me, if we don't have the confidence that he is able to do those things that we are praying for and about, we shouldn't expect them to be done. <laughs>